Hello, and welcome to this message from Skip Heitzig of Calvary Church. We pray that this teaching strengthens your relationship with the Lord. If it does, let us know. Email us at mystory@calvaryabq.org. And if you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can give online securely at calvaryabq.org slash give. Our minds are constantly confronted with ideas, temptations, principles, and values. The battlefield is found in mainstream culture, social media, and universities. And what we ponder, we eventually practice. In the message, Think What to Do, Do What You Think, Skip shares three ways we ought to think. Now, please open your Bible to Philippians chapter 4 as he begins. Let's turn in our Bibles then to Philippians chapter 4, which is the last chapter of the book of Philippians. And as you will notice... As you look at the page, that we're almost done with the book. Now, don't get your hopes out. It doesn't mean we're finishing it today. We still are a couple weeks out, but we're winding things down. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 4 in in, in just a moment. When I was in grade school, um, my teachers used a phrase, and I bet yours did too, and that is your thinking cap. Do you ever say that? ever say, okay... Kids, put your thinking caps on. And I remember when my teacher said that, she meant, or he meant, I need your attention, class. I really want you to process through what I'm about to tell you. But you know, uh, that's a figure of speech, but I remember thinking, wouldn't it be great if there was such a thing as an actual thinking cap so that when like, you lose your way or you need wisdom, you just put the cap on and you're good to go. Of course, it doesn't really work that way. Uh, Henry Ford said, thinking is the hardest work there is, which is probably why so few engage in it. (laughs) Now, the human mind is amazing. You are capable of logical thought. You're capable of abstract reasoning, deductive analysis. Your, Your mind can... Uh, emote. You can have emotions from joy to sorrow, from confidence to fear, and every emotion in between. Back in the 1600s, a philosopher named Rene Descartes gave a little philosophical postulate that he spoke in Latin, very common language at the time. And when I say it, you'll recognize it, many of you. Cognito ergo sum which means I think, therefore I am. Cognito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. The point of that little saying is that we validate our own existence by the very fact that we can produce thoughts. So if you're ever in doubt, am I real? Is this real? I'm thinking. I think, therefore I am. Now, Paul wouldn't disagree with that, but Paul wouldn't stop there either. Paul the Apostle would have said, okay, but... I think, therefore I do. That is, my thought life is attached to the rest of my life. Whatever it is that you think on is what you will eventually do. So that good thoughts bear good fruit, bad thoughts bear bad fruit, and guess what? You're the gardener. You're the one doing the planting. And we've noticed that the book of Philippians is a book about joy, but this is all part of it. If you're going to have a joyful life, you're going to need a joyful thought life. That's where it all begins. So a few years back, 15 college professors were given a challenge. 
And the challenge was simply this. If, if you could take all the books on the art of moving people into action, if they were condensed into one brief statement, what would that statement be? So they took the challenge. They thought of all the famous books on getting people motivated, moving them into action, and coming up with just a short statement. This is what they said. What the mind attends to, it considers. What the mind does not attend to, it dismisses. What the mind attends to continually, it believes. And what the mind believes, it eventually does. So they knew that if you can get a group of people or a person to think long enough about something to where they actually believe in that something, then you can motivate them to do something. With that as a background, we look at verse 8 and verse 9 of Philippians 4. Finally, brethren. Some of us are so happy to see that word, finally, because it means Paul is almost done with this letter. Finally means the rest or the things that remain. He's tying up some loose ends, some extra thoughts that sum up what he has been saying in this book. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Now there's a definite structure to these two verses, linguistically. And I know most people aren't excited about linguistic analysis, but let me just point something out. What you have in these two verses are two different lists of things attached to a main clause. A single verb drives each verse. The verb in verse 8 is the verb meditate or think, ponder, think on these things. That's the first important verb. Followed by verse 9, the main verb is do. These do. So meditate first or think first and then do second. Isn't it amazing how consistent the Bible is in describing how that our thoughts produce actions, that what we think drives what we do? So here's an example. Jesus taught often on humility to his disciples. But then one night at the Last Supper, he got up, washed their feet. They were all a little bit dumbfounded by this. And then he said to them, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Knowing is one thing. Taking the knowledge into action is quite another. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Here's another example. When Paul writes, his writing style typically is to give knowledge first, application second. Think on this, now do this. Best example, Romans, the book of Romans. He spends 11 chapters telling us what we should know, how we should think about God, about sin, about the world, about us. And then finally in chapter 12, verse 1, he writes... I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So you've thought about this, now do that. He also follows that in the book of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3. Paul writes about what we have, all the wealth we have in Christ, who we are in Him. 
Then in chapter 4, Therefore, I beseech you, walk worthy of the calling you have received. So you see, there's always this relationship between knowing and doing, between doctrine and duty, between living and learning. We learn and then we live it out. So what I want to do in these two verses is show you three simple things, three ways that we ought to think. We ought to think carefully. We ought to think righteously. We ought to think actively. Let's say all those. We should think carefully. We should think righteously. And we should think actively. So we've engaged the mind. We're all on the same page. Now let's explore. Um, I want to draw your attention again in verse 8 to that main clause I told you about. It's at the end of verse 8 in my translation. It says, meditate on these things. Here's the deal. Our minds can go in a million different directions. Therefore, we, we have to be very careful about what we are going to let it ponder, concentrate on. Now look at the word meditate. Some translations just say think on these or ponder these things. Now the word meditate, I'm going to tell you the word in Greek and you're going to listen to it and you're going to tell me what it sounds like in English. Logizomai sounds like logic. That is where we get our word logic. Logizomai means to think logically or to concentrate logically. The idea is to reason logically so that your actions are based on carefully thought out principles. Do you know, according to Scripture, thinking is paramount? Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, in Proverbs 23, 7, says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. For years, people have noted that we are what we think. And I, I agree with that. Uh, what you think about you, what you think about God, what you think about the world around you, what you think about sex, what you think about homosexuality, what you think about politics, all the things that you can think about, in the end, really define who you are. That is what you are. You are the sum of your thoughts. People's lives are the product of people's thoughts. You remember when Jesus said in Mark 7, for what comes out of a man, that defiles him. Listen to a a little more of that. I'll read a little more of what he said. This is in the New Living Translation. Jesus speaking. It is the thought life that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, eagerness for lustful pleasure, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these vile things come from within They are what defile you and make you unacceptable to God. Now, that's the negative. The positive, the reverse, is also true. Point being, people's doings are just the result of people's thinkings. We do what we think. Now, in the Bible, God actually commands us to think. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. I've always thought that Christians ought to be great thinkers. And I admire when I find one who is. 
Unfortunately, uh, for some of us, our brain cells are seriously under-exercised. And partially that's because some people's view of spirituality is not intellectual, it's just mystical. It's not if you know the truth. In fact, if you know the truth, you're sort of placed on the second or third shelf. Oh, it's more than just head knowledge. It's more than just, it's one thing to know something, and it's true, but for so many people, it's all about the mystical experience, the deeper life. Well, you might know things, but have you experienced the deeper life? I'm all about the deeper life, but some people who are after the deeper life have gone off the deeper end. A.W. Tozer put it this way, aimless activity is beneath the worth and dignity of a human being. The great weight of exhortation these days is in the direction of zeal and activity. Let's get going is the favorite watchword for gospel workers with the result that everyone feels ashamed to sit down and think. Jesus said to the lawyer, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Jesus also said, learn of me. Peter wrote and said, grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Hosea the prophet cried out, my people perish for lack of knowledge, not lack of zeal, lack of knowledge. All of that to say this, it's okay to think as a Christian. We don't put a sign out in the foyer that says, check brains here before entering. No, we want your mind fully engaged where you wrestle with, turn things around, question, ponder, resolve, all of that. I remember when I first came to faith, my college professors and my medical professors, uh, very few of them, if, if any, really had a relationship or interest in the things of God, And so I was challenged uh, quite a bit daily. And I had a struggle in my faith. I had a crisis of faith. And I really didn't know what to do or where to go. I found a book that changed my life called Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. It just got reprinted last month. New edition. Evidence That Demands a Verdict was all about the evidences that substantiate the Christian faith. And I read this book. I internalized this book. I memorized sections of that book. But one of the first things that I found in the book when I opened it up said this, the heart cannot rejoice in what the mind cannot accept. And I thought, I found gold. This is a book encouraging me to think actively and to reason logically with these truths. And by the way, if you were to look back at the major revivals in past history, you will find that knowledge is at the center of those revivals. One of the key factors that is in common with every great revival of the past is there's an emphasis on biblical doctrine and theology and exposition of the Scripture. So, there's a battle for your mind today, which means you and I, we ought to think carefully, logically, meditate on these things. That's one. That's the first way to think. Second, not just think carefully, but think righteously. Paul didn't just say, think, therefore you are. He says, let me tell you what to think about. 
Here's the parameters of godly thinking. And he lists six things. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report or good repute, some translations say, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. All of that to say, think righteously. Hey, guess how many thoughts you have every day? You might say, well, not many. (laughs) Truth is, you have many. Neuroscientists say the average person thinks 70, that's 70,000, 70,000 thoughts every single day. 70,000. You think 70,000 thoughts. Which means in a year's time, you will have produced 25.5 million thoughts. So that's a lot of options, right? We're bombarded with a lot of thoughts. So we need to not just think, but harness those thoughts. As the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Or listen to what Paul said in Romans 8. Those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now, notice the list in verse 8. Whatever things are pure, whatever things are noble, etc. He lists six things, all of which basically say the same thing. All of those words describe righteous thinking. In other words, true things are noble, noble things are just, just things are pure, pure things are lovely. It's all sort of a a, a one-off describing the same thing, thinking righteously. Here's the point. Don't you think that we need to be vigilant about what input we allow into our minds in terms of what we see and what we hear? Now, some will say, well, as I I see it, I I can just put whatever, because he says whatever six times. He says whatever things are pure, whatever things are noble. And some people have gotten hung up on that word whatever. Like Paul isn't considering the source. He's being very indiscriminate as to what you allow yourself to think on. But I would debate that and say, when Paul says whatever things, he just says, if you look at the gamut of all the possible thoughts that can come into your head, Find whatever thoughts fit these categories. Moreover, in verse 9, uh, you will notice that he says, these are the qualities he taught and he lived by himself. These things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. So all of the things that he mentions in the 8th verse as parameters of thinking... All of these are found in the scriptures. And it could be that Paul is saying, let the Bible govern righteous thinking. And the reason I say that is because I'm going to read to you a little portion of Psalm 19. And listen how close one sounds to the other. Psalm 19, I'm beginning in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are just or right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, 
enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Sounds very similar to the description of Paul in Philippians. He's saying, think righteously. So look at a few of these things. Whatever things are true. Now, wouldn't you agree that one of the great commodities of God is truth? That He is the God of all truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When Jesus prayed in the garden, He said, Sanctify them, Father, by Your truth. Your Word is truth. So God specializes in truth. So think about what is true, and you'll find that in His Word. And I'll tell you why this is important. You and I live in a world where people say there's no such thing as empirical truth. There's no such thing as absolute truth. Truth is relative. Your truth may not be my truth. Right? So we're exposed to that sort of thinking. That's why we need a constant exposure and injection of God's truth. So that we're able to discern what is right and what is wrong. And it's even more important these days because a generation has arisen where honestly truth isn't all that important. Feelings trump truth. To a whole new generation, it's not about is this true or not true, it's how does that make you feel? See, if it makes you feel good, that's your truth. If it doesn't make you feel good, then it's not your truth. And um, have you heard this? Well, what should I do? Well, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Now, that little bit of pop psychology might sound really noble, but that is like the worst piece of advice ever in history. Follow your heart. And here's why. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above everything else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So if you're driven by your emotional feelings at the time, it might feel good temporarily, but eventually you might go off the deep end. So meditate on righteous truth. It says whatever things are noble. I love this word. It means worthy of respect, dignified, worthy of awe. It's the opposite of common, mundane. These are lofty thoughts. Whatever things are just, that's a word that means right or righteous. The scripture shows you how to walk the righteous path. If you ever wonder what is right, what is wrong, the Bible will tell you the principles for righteous living. Psalm 119, David said, Your word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light unto my path. Then notice the word pure. Whatever things are pure, it means wholesome. It uh, means morally pure. It's the opposite of smutty. David said, How shall a young man keep his ways pure? Then he answers his own question. By taking heed according to your word. So God's word will give you purity. You know, you've heard the name John Bunyan. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He was put in jail for his faith. And in the fly leaf of his Bible, he wrote this. Either this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. And the Bible has the ability to keep a person pure. So this 
this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. I've discovered something about people who say, well, I won't read the Bible because it's so filled with contradictions. It contradicts itself. Let me translate for you. It contradicts them. Usually people won't read the Bible, not because because when they say, well, there's so many contradictions. I always say, show me one. Mr. Knowledgeable about the Bible, show me a contradiction. Well, I know they're there. I don't know which one. But... Okay. Maybe you won't read it because it really contradicts your moral behavior. Like Mark Twain used to say, it's not the things I don't understand in the Bible that bother me. It's the things I do understand that bother me. So whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good repute, good report, if there's any virtue, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. By the way, not just are there 70,000 thoughts that bounce around your brain a day. You know how many advertisements you're exposed to daily. And I don't know who finds this stuff out. Honestly, I don't. They could assign a number to it. I'm, I'm researching it and I, I corroborated a few places. But we are told by those who I think know that we are exposed to 5,000 ads a day. 5,000 ads a day. You know how advertising works, right? They're smart people who know how we think. And the idea of an ad is to influence the way a person thinks about a product in hopes to motivate the person to what with the product? To buy it. So they want to, they want to influence your thought life in hopes that you might pull out your wallet and buy what you think you understand about that product. This is why we have to filter what we think. Think carefully, think righteously. Third, think actively, verse 9. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. So after presenting a list of attributes for your thought life, he now shows that the thoughts should lead to deeds. Now again, please notice the two main verbs. The first in verse 8, meditate, think, ponder. Second in verse 9, do. These do. In the original language, tauta prosite. That's a command. That's the parent, uh, the present active imperative. It's a command. So uh, um, tauta prosite is translated literally this way. These things I'm commanding you to keep on practicing, keep on doing. That's what Paul says in verse 9. Why does, he, why does he write so strongly? Because he knows that we can never separate the thought life from the outward life. The inward thoughts from the outward action. That what we ponder is what we're going to practice. What we think about is what we're going to do. What we learn is what we're going to live. By the way, this is always the hope of a pastor. You know this. Any leader, any teacher, any pastor always has the hopes that if we can expose people to truth through the preaching of the word, that the mind will attend to that. And in attending to it, somewhere in the process, enough people will go, 
I believe that. Because if they attend to it and attend to it regularly, they'll believe it. If they believe it, they'll do it. It's always the hope. is to graduate to the doing phase. This is why Paul writes in Galatians 4, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your life. This is why he adds the list in verse 9. He doesn't just say, hey, all the things you meditate on, do them. Please notice, he says, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Why does he do that? Well, because he understands that you can learn something, but not really receive it. And you can receive something, but not really hear it all. And the graduation comes when you go, I've attended to it, I've listened to it, I've exposed myself to it, I believe in it, now I'm going to try it on for size and practice it. I can only speak from personal experience. I grew up in a church. I was exposed to the Trinity, Jesus is God, virgin birth, death on the cross, resurrection. I heard it all my life. It made no difference at all. At all. At all. I was 18 years of age. Something changed. I listened to a sermon by Billy Graham. I've heard that stuff before. That's familiar stuff. I believe that. I believe that. And something has to change. There's going to be a... That's called repentance, by the way. That turning around. Changing. How I think about it and what I do with it. So in the last 35 minutes, we've been exposed to truth. And uh, some... Um, have listened casually. Some have listened actively. Some actually take notes. God bless you. I love note takers. It shows me you're serious about taking this truth home. Others listen to it very casually. Others listen to it almost like, are you done yet? Can, can we go now? And, and, and still others just, well, they nap. They nap during the time. I'm glad that I can be a cure to your insomnia at some level. <laughs> You will also notice that in your bulletin, you're always every week given an outline. I always want to give my outline to my assistant to produce in the bulletin because I believe it's just another level. It adds handles to make truth memorable so that it can add to the life change. But let me give you a warning now for all of us. If when you hear truth, if you believe it's truth, If when you hear truth, if you do not come with the determination to practice that truth, here's the warning. Something will happen to your heart. You'll get calloused. You'll be very good at hearing truth and immediately dismissing it, marginalizing it, not letting it penetrate. That's the danger. So that you could come effectively every week and remain unchanged because your heart grows harder and harder because you don't determine to actually put that into practice. And what that means is you can have what we call unchurched, or excuse me, churched unbelievers. Unbelievers, not on their way to heaven, but they go to church every single week. And the truth hasn't penetrated 
to change behavior. This is why James says, you know the verse, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because he said if you do that, you deceive yourself. And then he goes on by saying, for if you just listen and don't obey, it's like looking at your face in a mirror, but doing nothing to improve your appearance. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. Now, we all understand that analogy. We do it every day. I got up this morning, 5.30, I'm in the, uh, turn on the lights in the bathroom, look at my face in the mirror, same reaction that I have every day. Uh-oh. It's like... This is me in the mirror. Now, I look there and I go, I can fix some of that. A lot of what I see is irreparable. But I'm good with that. But now, if I walk out of the bathroom and forgot what I just saw, then you're going to see me like this. Woohoo, hey, what's up? So, in getting a revelation of truth, the mirror... I now have to have a consideration of how I'm going to implement something to change what I see. Fun little story. William Penn. William Penn. Some of you recognize the name. He was the founder of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. It was named after William Penn. He was negotiating with the Delaware Indians for a parcel of land to make an exchange for. And they agreed that... Whatever land William Penn could walk around, circumnavigate on foot in a day, they would work out a deal. The next day, William Penn sent one of his young men at daybreak with a map to walk around until sunset, came back and encompassed 40 miles, had the map, had the little markers to show it, went to the chief of the Delaware Indians who was shocked that somebody actually did that. You know, he just said that, didn't expect him to do that, but he made a promise. They walked it, and that 40 miles became what is today the greater part of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That little illustration simply points out, here's a guy who simply acted according to a promise. There's a promise. You said it. You know, William Penn could have listened to the promise and go, oh, that's good. Hallelujah. I'm writing that down. I'm underlining that. I'm memorizing that. He said, I'm going to walk that. I'm going to walk that out. So I wonder how many promises of God lay in these pages. Untried. Not walked. So we must think carefully and righteously, but also actively. And you'll notice something. Paul says in verse 9, And he does this. This is something very Paul-like. He says, The things which you learned, received, and heard and saw in me. Now, he's not saying he's perfect, but he is saying I am an example to you. In fact, Paul does that a couple times in this book and a couple times in other books. He says, Follow me as I follow the Lord. Here's the point. Find a good godly example in your life because that will just reinforce good godly thinking. You'll see it lived out. There's an old poem that I memorized, and I've said a thousand times. This is 1001. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the things that you do and the words that you say. People hear what you say, and they see what you do. So what is the gospel according to you? See, I take truth, and I internalize it, and I live it, and people get an impression of God based on me, 
So in effect, you are looking at the NSV. This is the new skip version. (laughs) But I'm looking down at the NMV, the new matte version, the NCV, the new chip version. And uh, we, we all are living letters. Like Paul said, you are, 2 Corinthians 3, you are our epistle known and read by all men. So we're going to take the truth that's exemplified and that we hear, and we're going to live it, and we're going to become some kind of an example to others who watch us. Now look at how he ends that little verse. And, don't miss this, and the God of peace will be with you. It's the crowning achievement of good, godly, right thinking and living. God of peace will be with you. Now I can't help but do this. Verse 7 ends, and the peace of God which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts. Now it's the God of peace. And we love the peace of God, but we love when the God of peace is so intimate and close with us that we experience that intimate fellowship. Here's the point. If you think godly thoughts and you live godly lives, you'll feel God's peace because the God of peace is the one that you're walking with. He'll be with you. Now, let me close. You're going, good. Let me close with some practical tips. It's just takeaways. Practical tips on wholesome thinking. Three things to walk away with. Number one, evaluate. Evaluate content. It's very simple. You listen to things. You watch things. You focus on things. You meditate on a number of things. Evaluate those things. Now, what I'm going to say is going to hurt. Because we're all Americans. Most of us are Americans, or or probably all of us are. Okay, so this is according to the Nielsen Group. You've heard of the Nielsen ratings, television ratings? Uh, The Nielsen Company says the average American watches four hours of TV a day. Okay, that's just a fact. The average American watches four hours a day. Now, some of you go, well, I dispute that. I'm at three and a half. Okay. (laughs) Bravo. Like it or not, here's the point. We fill our minds with whatever we happen to be watching on television. Now, I'm not here to tell you what you can watch and and not watch. I'm not going to get legalistic. Let me just say, especially to parents, the average American adolescent will end up seeing 14,000 sexual references every year. Did you get that? 14,000 sexual references on TV a year. How many of those are righteous, holy matrimony relationships? One. Two, if like you saw the right show. So there is a bombardment of values that we expose ourselves to. Not only that, but by age 18, the average child will have seen 20,000 violent acts, including 16,000 murders. So just evaluate content. That's number one. Number two, punctuate. Punctuate your day with truth. Begin the day, end the day with truth. Get up in the morning or whenever you get up. Some people get up in the afternoon. This is an early day for some of you. Um, Whatever. You might have a work schedule. The point is, begin the day in the Word and close the day. Not with a commercial on TV, but even if it's a short psalm or a proverb, just... Thoughts from God's Word to put your head on the pillow at night. 
and go to sleep with those thoughts. Punctuate your day with truth. So evaluate, punctuate. And the third tip, meditate on Scripture. Now, when you hear a Christian say meditate, I don't mean put your hands out like this and go, um, transcendental meditation where you disengage the mind. Biblical meditation is the opposite. It's where you engage the mind. And to meditate on Scripture means you, you read it, but you don't just read in it, you feed on it. You feed on it. You ponder it. You take and emphasize a word and another word in the phrase, and you ask what it means to you. So it's really internalized. So evaluate, punctuate, and meditate. There was a couple who were married for 40 years. The husband died in this relationship. It was a loving relationship. The wife was left very, very lonely, didn't know what to do. She had a period of grief. You can imagine the kind of grief after being with a partner so long. Some of you know what that's like. This gal remembered that she had a friend who owned a pet store. So she just thought, you know, I'm going to go talk to this store owner. And the store owner said, you know, you ought to just get, I know it's not going to be a husband, but get a pet. So she looked at cats and dogs and fish and snakes. None of them was something she wanted. She wanted something to talk to. So the owner of the pet store said, well, we have, it's expensive, but we have this parrot that just, it's a chatterbox, talks to everybody. She goes, I'll buy it. Bought the parrot, dished out a lot of money, took the parrot home, big cage, came back in a week. The owner of the pet store said, that bird talking to you, right? A lot, huh? She goes, not saying one word, not a word. It's been a week, not a word. I sit there, I talk to it, not a word. And so the owner of the pet store said, well, have you thought about putting a mirror in the cage? She said, a mirror? He goes, yeah, it's funny, but birds like parrots like to look at themselves and the mirror sort of loosens them up. And the bird will start talking. So she bought a mirror, put it in the cage, came back 10 days later, hoping that it would have talked. And the guy at the pet store said, work, right? She said, not a single word. He said, well, have you... Put a ladder in the cage. She said, a ladder? She said, yeah. You know, listen, birds, they look at themselves in the mirror. They like to get a little exercise. And they get a little exercise. They feel more at home. They're in their own space. That bird will talk. So she bought a ladder, took it home. A couple of weeks later, came back. She's not smiling. Said the bird is not talking. And so the owner of the pet store said, well... If you put a swing in the cage, like up toward the top of this large cage, what's going to happen is the bird's going to look at itself in the mirror, climb up and down the ladder, swing a little bit, make it feel like it's in its natural habitat, the jungle. bird's going to talk. I I can almost guarantee it. So she did it, bought it, came back, walked in the store a couple weeks later, mad. And before the owner of the shop could say, how's that bird? She said, the bird died. That expensive parrot is on the bottom of the cage, dead. And the owner of the store said, I'm just befuddled. Did the bird say anything at all? The woman said, yes, as a matter of fact. As that bird lay taking the last few breaths, it says, don't they have any food down at that store? Okay, so... 
That's a lot like you and I that we think about and we focus on things that aren't even important. When we're starving to death for the kind of truth that could transform us and make us dynamic. To feed on the right things is one thing. To learn them and assimilate them, be changed by them, is another. Let's ask God to do that. Father, the food that we get help forms for us, and I mean the things we listen to or watch or read. All of those things will form thoughts in our minds. And we can, we can listen actively to your truth. We can listen passively to your truth. We can listen passively to your truth, but then actively watch certain things or listen to other things. All of that is forming who we are. Because we really are what we think. So would you help us to attend to, to consider and then to believe and then to do what is true. Even if it poses challenges to our intellect, all the better because it forces us into a logical line of thinking that once resolved makes us even more stable and stronger. Make us thinking and doing believers. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. It's impossible to go through a day without bumping into the thoughts and ideas of the world. So we must carefully, righteously, and actively manage them. How do you plan to do that? Let us know. Email us at mystory@calvaryabq.org. And just a reminder, you can give financially to this work at calvaryabq.org. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from Skip Heitzig of Calvary Church.